and uh, great to worship together. Um, and you know, with the weather, I don't know whether to feel cold or warm, you know, or, or hot. It's like, uh, like it looks cold outside, but then I walk outside and it's like 88 degrees. And um, I, you know, like it feels like the, the season's changing. Um, and uh, um, well, this morning we're, con- we're continuing on in our series about counterfeit gods. And, uh, and this is about idolatry in our lives. Um, this morning's message, though, will be a little bit different. It's not so, uh, so much going to be specifically about idols and things, but um, I pray that God will, will use, use the message this morning. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, my daughter, Avery, I'm looking for her. <laughs> my daughter, Avery, who's, who's now 12, Okay, she took a class on money, and it was called Money, Money, Money. Right? And I thought, well, that's a, that's a strange title for a class taught at the, the private Christian school. I mean, that's what I think of the school when they send me the tuition bill. <laughs> but the class, right, it could have been titled uh, Money God's Way uh, or Money by the Bible or something, um, but anyways, uh, the class taught her some important principles uh, about money and personal finances. And in the class, she put together a little budget. Okay, and I, I talked to her about this just earlier this morning, and so she disputes some of the things I'm saying here. And I, <laughs> I said, no, you told me those things. She said, no, I didn't, but uh, here goes anyway. <laughs> um, she put together this little budget in the class, and it says if she makes $2,500 a month, okay, which is $30,000 a year, she should be able to get an apartment with her friends. She should be able to have a couple of dogs. She should be able to get Starbucks every morning. And she should be able to drive a Kia. <laughs> a Kia? <laughs> so she disputes some of those things. But I, I tell her... Um, after she took the class, she put the budget together. I said, Avery, that's a, that's a good budget. That's a good plan. Um, but things don't, things don't always work out the way you think they should. You know, sometimes you budget and you still can't afford what you, what you want. And then she says, how come? And, you know, the only answer I could give her at the time um, or even now, is that life isn't always that simple, right? We put plans together. We put budgets together. Uh, we think this is how things should go, uh, even an agenda or a schedule for your day. Um, and, and you get halfway into it or partway into it, and it just gets blown up, and, and, and things don't work out. And so, you know, I'm trying to kind of give her this 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 insight into the fact that life isn't simple, that life is messy. And uh, now bear in mind that she's like 10 years old when I was <laughs> telling her this, so maybe it was a little premature um, on my part to, uh, to critique her budget and to give her this big lesson about life. Um, but as she grows older, as our kids grow older, I think we want them to understand, we want them to know 
that life isn't always simple. And in fact, it's often messy. Right? And that's, and that's really the message today. Um, that, that life is messy, but God is over. God is over all of this. I think if you and I had time to sit down together, if I got to know each of you individually or personally and got to know your background and things going on in your life, um, and you got to know mine, that we'd have a lot to talk about. Because beneath the obligatory smiles and the, and the greetings, you know, and the how are you, I'm fine, um, I think deep down there are real struggles in our lives, conflicts, fears, and unresolved issues. And despite, despite God's deep love for us, Life is messy, isn't it? And this just is, it doesn't mean that life is just difficult, because life is difficult, life is hard. But I don't mean that it's just difficult. I mean that life is chaotic. Life is complicated. Life often doesn't make sense. Here are uh, a, a couple of sayings that seem to capture the thought and uh, see the first one, it's all messy. The hair, the bed, the words, the heart, life. Um, and then the second one says, nothing is perfect. Life is messy. Relationships are complex. Outcomes are uncertain. People are irrational. Right? Wouldn't you... Wouldn't you agree with these? Does this kind of resonate with you? That if you've been alive for a little while, then you know that this is kind of how life is. It's not how we want it to be. And especially as Christians, I think we expect our lives to be clean, to be uncomplicated, to be predictable. But that simply is not the case. That's not how life is, even when God is in our lives. And today we're going to look at a story. We're going to look at a story uh, about Jacob in Genesis 32. And Jacob, he is one of Israel's great patriarchs. And so you'll hear his name when they say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? He's one of Israel's great patriarchs, but he's a man whose life is a mess. And this morning, we're going to take a look at that. Before we do, let's uh, bow in a word of prayer. Father, we want to just give you this time, these next uh, 20 minutes or so. Lord, we just offer it up to you. We ask, Father, that you would speak to us. We know that your word is alive. Your word, Lord, is sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word speaks, can speak to our hearts and minds. I pray, Lord, that you would just open us, our hearts and minds, to you. And, uh, Lord, not to hold back, not to um, try to distance ourselves from the word or from you, Lord, but that we would just be open, Father, to whatever you speak to us this morning. I pray your Holy Spirit would touch us, speak to us, minister to us. um, And we pray that we would turn our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
This morning, I've asked Matt if he would uh, read our main passage uh, of Scripture this morning. So I asked Matt to read from Genesis 32. Genesis 32, 3 through 30. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted." He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put each of them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my, brother meets, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to, and where are you going, and who owns all these animals in front of you, then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds, you are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Thank you. So uh, we spoke about Jacob last month 
And, and I don't know if you, you remember uh, that message, um, but we talked about Jacob when we looked at the counterfeit God of, of love and his relationship with uh, Rachel, with his uncle Laban, and, <clears throat> and his, um, uh, her sister Leah. Um, he's an interesting character, and we, we return to him. Uh, Jacob is an interesting character because though he's one of Israel's patriarchs, He's a man of questionable character. He's not the kind of hero you would expect in the Bible or the kind of person you would hold up as a model, um, you know, for your people, for your nation. And yet he is one of Israel's great forefathers. Uh, let me share a few things about Jacob's past just to, you know, give you a, a more clear picture. Um, he came out of the womb as a younger twin brother, and he came out grabbing his brother Esau's heel. <clears throat> he got his brother to trade his birthright for a bowl of stew. His father was Isaac, so Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. Right? His father was Isaac, and toward the end of Isaac's life, Jacob tricked him into giving him the family blessing. And this blessing should have been for Esau because Esau was the firstborn. He fled the region because Esau wanted to kill him. He sought refuge in a foreign land. He fell in love with Rachel, but was tricked by his uncle Laban. And he ended up, ended up marrying both Rachel and Leah. And they had a bunch of kids, okay, and the two of them had this crazy sibling rivalry. Uh, Rachel and Leah did. Then after 20 years with Laban, Jacob stole the best of his, his livestock. And he left, and he, he ran off with telling Laban. Okay, and then in the last chapter, chapter 30, uh, Laban catches up to him, and they, um, they face off. Um, so Jacob's life, Jacob's life is, is a mess. It's kind of like that that's saying that we looked at, that second one. The relationships are complex, outcomes are uncertain, and people, including himself, act irrationally. So now we see in chapter 32, he's in another predicament. Okay, in, in chapter 31, God had instructed Jacob to take his family and to leave and to go back to his homeland. This is a good thing, but it puts him on a, on a crash course with his brother Esau who he hasn't seen in 20 years. And Esau still lives in the homeland, and Jacob is going back there now. And so this is, this is the setting for this passage. He sends his messengers ahead, and he's now preparing to meet Esau for the first time since having stolen his blessing 20 years earlier. Verses 6 through 8 let me just refresh that. It says, When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one, of the group, uh, one group, the, groups, the group that is left may escape. 
So Jacob hears that Esau's coming with 400 men, and he fears the worst. Right? He fears that Esau is still angry with him for stealing his birthright, stealing his blessing, and that he's coming to exact revenge. And this is, this is part of the messiness of life. I think the fear of retribution that we may have or the fear of um, facing someone who we've wronged in the past, someone close to us, um, that's, you know, that's something that really, really does, um, does damage to us. And, and this is what's happening with Jacob here. So we see that not only is his life messy, but he is messy. He is messed up. His heart, his faith, his decisions throughout his life have been insensitive at best and despicable and evil at worst. And I wonder, you know, can we identify with Jacob? And I think the way I've probably portrayed Jacob, you know, most of us would say, well, I... I'm not that bad. I'm not like that. I can't exactly relate to that. Um, But I think we all know sin and struggle and failure in our lives. Like Jacob, in our hearts, I think we know we have pursued, at times, ungodly things. I think in the past, we we know that we have acted selfishly and we have used other people to get, to get what we want. And we have made questionable decisions. We may even have hurt a brother or sister in deep and profound ways. I think we're more like Jacob than we realize. And now it says that Jacob is in great fear and distress. And I wonder if some of us feel that way in our lives. You could probably add confusion, anxiety, and regret to this list of of how Jacob is feeling. And yet in all of this, in all of this messiness, Jacob does several things in this passage that Matthew read. He does several things in here that I think we we can learn from. The first is that in the messiness Jacob, he prays. He goes to prayer. In verse 9, it says, Then Jacob prayed, O God, my father, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. So I wish I could say the first thing Jacob did was pray. Okay, but that that wasn't true. The first thing he did, if you look at the passage, is that he divides up everything. He divides up everything his possessions, his flocks, his family, okay, into two camps. But then, in the situation, he looks to God. 
See, as the fear and the distress and the anxiety begin to overtake him, he goes to the Lord in prayer. And I think Jacob's fear and distress, they were probably not good for him, not good for his, his mental health or his emotions, but it led him to pray and to stop and to review his life. You notice how he speaks, and he speaks a little bit about the past, and he says, God, I'm not worthy of your kindness and your faithfulness, and I came across the Jordan with only my staff, and you have blessed me. Right? And so he reflects on his life, which is spinning out of control. And if you can picture what's taking place, he is fearful. His brother's descending on him. Okay? And he is trying to, to, as quickly as possible, divide everything. And so if you think about this, all this commotion that's going on, where he's dividing up his, his servants, his possessions, and his livestock into two groups. You know, I think it made me think of uh, when we tried to divide the congregation for lunch at FunFest. It's just, you know, like crazy, like chaotic. Right? And everybody's trying to find their, their spot. So this, you know, much worse. But what prayer does, he stops and he prays. And what prayer does is it creates space. It creates space for him to stop and to look and to listen for the Lord. Okay, and, that's, and that is what prayer does in our lives. Life is fast. Life is crazy. Prayer helps us to create that space to stop. Last week, Pastor Corey said something that's kind of like this in his message. He said that um, we should look upward to God rather than outwards at the situation or inwards to ourselves. And this is what Jacob is doing. He is looking upwards to God in this crazy situation. <clears throat> 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So Jacob goes humbly before the Lord, and he confesses that he's unworthy of God's kindness and faithfulness. And his prayer also hints at a sense of repentance and change. Because I think we know, we can see that Jacob's situation is his own doing. And this doesn't, this doesn't keep him from continuing to pray, and he prays boldly. And he keeps, uh, and he, he asks God, okay, to give him mercy and to save him and his family. Okay, and this is something that I think we should do as well to go before the throne of the Lord boldly. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In other words, in the messiness of life, place yourself in God's hands. Put the situation okay, before him. And it's my hope that we will learn to be people of prayer 
okay, in the good times and in the bad times. The second is in the messiness, Jacob remembers God's word. He remembers God's word. Here Jacob recounts God's covenant promises to him. In Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, I will surely bless you. So this is Jacob's grandfather. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And then this promise is passed on to Isaac. And then in Genesis 28, it's passed on to Jacob. And he says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And they will spread from the north to the south, the east to the west. And so this is God's promise to Jacob. And he remembers this here at this time. So if praying, I would say if praying is activity one, remembering God's word is 1A. See, the Bible, this book, does not just give us instruction for life. It's not just a manual on how to live life, what to do and what not to do. The Bible, it imparts God's heart to us. It reveals, it enlightens, it assures us of things. It enables us as believers to act in faith. And that's why it's so important, it's so important to immerse yourself in the word and to fill yourself with God's word. Joshua 1, 8 and 9 says this, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, even Jacob, who has some real character flaws, he knows God's word. He knows God's promises. And he knows that God honors his word. And we're not to just remember his word, right? We're to do it. Joshua says we're to obey everything written in it. And Jacob's faith, our faith, it's founded on a covenant relationship with the Lord, with God. Okay, it's an agreement. There's an agreement here that he will be our God and we will be his people. And so we must be careful to remember and to apply and to obey what God has given us in his word. Hebrews 10.23 is a wonderful promise. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. See, but we have no hope. We have no hope to hold on to if we do not know God's promises, if we do not understand what he has said in Scripture. So remember God's word. This is what Jacob does. 
And then in the messiness of life, God is faithful. Okay, the subject turns away from Jacob. It is to God. God is faithful. Now this is, this passage that, that we read, this is one of the more unusual passages in Scripture. And from verses 20 to 22 through 30, um, and I don't think I'll read that, but it is basically Jacob wrestling, it says, with a man, or a man wrestling with Jacob. Okay? And Jacob, at the end of the passage, says that this was God. I struggled with God face to face. In verses 23 and 24, Jacob, he sends everything across the river. So basically, he's got all this stuff in this one camp. He's in, divided into two camps. He sends his possessions and his, um, his livestock and his family across the river. And so he's all alone. And then this man wrestles with him. This man appears out of nowhere. He wrestles with him all night. He wrenches his hip by touching his hip. And then he disappears. And so Jacob understands this as being God himself. Even though he wrestles with him, he never gets a clear view of his face. He never clearly sees him for some reason. Okay, but it's God that he wrestles with. And I see that what happens is that the Lord, the Lord initiates the encounter. And I think it's because the Lord, he wanted more from Jacob. He knew the kind of man that Jacob was. He knew what Jacob's life, Jacob's life was like. And he, knew, he knows the same about us. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows the condition of our lives, our relationships. Okay, and I believe that he wanted, God wanted more from Jacob. He wanted to remove Jacob's proud self-reliance on himself. Okay, and, he, and God wanted to do it, and he did it by force, in a way, through this wrestling match. And he wrestled with Jacob. And there's wrestling that goes on in our lives. When our lives are a mess, there's wrestling that takes place. And I would say what we see from the passage is to wrestle with God. It is to wrestle with God. I think Jacob did the right thing here. He wrestled with God, and then he held on to God. He held on to the Lord until the Lord blessed him. Okay, and Jacob was this kind of intense kind of guy, scheming, um, street smart. Um, and so he held on to him because he knew that God was the source of blessing. God is the source of provision. God is all sufficient for our lives. So when life gets messy, what happens is we're, we're prone. We're prone to wander. Oftentimes, we're prone to blame God and to walk away and to separate and distance ourselves. To not do your quiet time, to not pray. 
to try to compensate for the messiness of our lives by filling it with other things. And what we learn from Jacob here is to hold on to God. Hold on to the Lord. Earlier we sang the hymn, the worship team led us in the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And that song was written by a man named Robert Robinson in 1757. And one of the verses says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And we're told that later in life, Robert Robert Robinson wandered away from God. The story says, this is later in life after he had wandered from the Lord. The story goes on and says that he was traveling in a stagecoach. Right, so this is back in the 1700s. He's traveling in a stagecoach, and one of the other passengers, whom he doesn't know, and she doesn't know who he is, she's humming the hymn, and she explains to him and the other passengers that this hymn has been such an encouragement to her. And not realizing who he was, he, he tries to get her to change the subject and to to talk about something different, and she's effusive about this hymn being an encouragement to her Christian walk and her life. And uh, he says, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who composed that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. And as the story goes on, it says that the woman replies gently. She says, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. Right? And that's another part of the hymn. And it says he was brought back to the Lord. He turned, renewed his relationship with God. And I think sealing that relationship That, I think, is what God is doing here with Jacob as he wrestles with him. He is sealing that relationship with him. And that Jacob would know deep in his heart that God will be with him and that God will bless him. And I think this is the promise for us from the word. God wants to seal that salvation, that abundant life, that relationship that you have with him. So why bless Jacob? Why would God bless a man who we said is deceitful, scheming, selfish? There's no good reason. And no good reason. Why why would he bless us? Knowing what we've done. Knowing who we are at times. Knowing the condition of our lives. There's no good reason. But by the grace and the love and the compassion and the mercy of God, he does. See, life is messy, but God is faithful. Life is messy, but God is faithful. Sometimes life is messy because of our own doing. Sometimes it's not our doing. And we're victims to, to the way life is. 
But I don't think the Christian life is about seeking a clean, uncomplicated existence. It's not, it's not about getting everything cleaned up and then feeling better about ourselves. Okay? It's about praying. It's about remembering God's word. It's about obeying God's word. And it's about holding on to the Lord okay, in the messiness of life. So remember, life is messy, but God is faithful. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we come before you with um, just our uh, hearts in uh, whatever condition it is, our lives in whatever condition they are, Lord, and we just offer them to you. Lord, we ask that you would work in our, our lives and work in our situations, work in our relationships. We just give it all to you, Lord. We ask, Father, um, for your grace and mercy and for your blessing to rest upon us. Help us each day, Lord, as we, um, as we deal with all of these things. We pray for your, your glory, and we pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Darren.